Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it, but I cut off over a foot of hair and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 6. Gilderoy Lockhart. The next day, however, Harry barely grinned once. Things started to go downhill from breakfast in the Great Hall. The four long house tables were laden with tureens of porridge, plates of kippers, mountains of toast, and dishes of eggs and bacon, beneath the enchanted ceiling. Today, a dull, cloudy gray. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So, Vanessa, this week we are thinking about the theme of narcissism. And you're going to tell us a story about narcissism. I am. So Matt, my story today is not about narcissistic personality disorder, like capital N narcissism. It was about a moment in my life where I was narcissistic. I had built a life in New York City, right? I had a partner and we were living in a one bedroom apartment that we could only afford because we were living together. I had a job and I decided to apply to divinity school and move up to Massachusetts. And I was very anxious about quitting my career and my life in New York and moving up north and My partner was super supportive, but my moving out meant that he could not stay in our apartment, right? We were splitting the rent and now he would have to pay for it by himself. So we had to move him into a shared apartment with two strangers that he met on Craigslist. And obviously I helped him with that move. 
And then he helped me move up to Boston. And the whole time, even though this was like just as annoying for him as it was for me, I never really thought about how much of a sacrifice I was asking him to make, right? Like I was asking him at like 30 years old to move in with strangers and move out of his home where there was like a good commute that he had and completely uproot his life. And if you would have asked me at the time, like, how is this going for him? I would have been like, oh, it's going for him. I don't know. Like I'm the one with the big change. And I think that that is one of the traits of narcissism, right, is like most of what we do in the world affects the people around us, right? We live in relationship with one another, and yet there are moments in our life where we completely lose sight of the fact that our decisions are impacting other people, and we are only thinking about the way that it is impacting us. Yeah, Vanessa, I think that's like such a telling and useful like illustration of like how narcissism might be distinguished from other forms of selfishness, right? Because it's a form of selfishness, which is like, oh, I can see the other's need, but I am going to prefer my need to the other's need or prefer my want to the other's need or whatever. There's like a, there's a form of selfishness, which is just a choice, which is like, I recognize that this other has wants or desires, but mine are more important and I'm making a conscious choice. Narcissism really is about like, all you can see is yourself, not even recognizing the other. I mean, I think if you would have asked me at the time, I would have been like, yeah, it's an extra pain. I also have to move Bob into another apartment. Like, I think I saw displacing him as something difficult for me. Yeah. Like, that is how yeah. how narcissistic I was. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the things I think we're going to talk about throughout this conversation is that, like, all of us have trouble recognizing other needs. All, all of us, like see ourselves first in the world. And and that's just like a, it's a natural, I think, sort of part of being human. The question is like, how do we work against those impulses and and train ourselves to to recognize others' needs? Right, but that makes sense, Matt, because the root of narcissism, because I'm doing Etymology Corner this We're week. We're going to your corner everyone. this week. Well, I'm going to do the cursory one. I'm sure okay. that you'll add to it. But my <laughs> remembrance of narcissism is that Narcissus was this very handsome man who looked at his reflection in a pond and just fell so in love with his own image that he just stayed there, right? He fell into his the image of his own face and spent the rest of his life there. Yeah. And so I think, right, if we think about the etymology, there's a real risk of narcissism a selfish risk, right? That we can just spend our whole lives just staring at ourselves and never seeing the beauty of the world around us. Yeah, that's right. That is that is where the root of the word narcissism comes from, this this myth of narcissists. Thank you, Thank you for taking us to Etymology Corner. There are several versions of the myth, but the the most famous comes from Ovid's Metamorphosis. And and it's paired with the story of Echo, too. So so Narcissus, this beautiful man, Narcissus, is wandering around the woods, and Echo, a nymph, uh, falls in love with him, but only s- speaks back what he says, right? So Narcissus is speaking, and he hears his own voice back to him. And this is his own voice is something he can be in a relationship with. But as soon as he sees Echo, then he doesn't want anything to do with Echo, and Echo wastes away, right? And then he goes to the pond and sees himself in the pond and falls in love with his own image. And because it will not respond, because it cannot reciprocate to him, he is like lovelorn and, and waste away himself. So there's like two potential dangers in this, right? There's the idea of actually having someone with which you could be in relationship, but 
not being able to hear anything except a projection of yourself or projecting yourself onto nothing. I'm, right. And in either case, what you don't get is what you actually need, which is relationship and love and and support and all those things. Yeah. And we really didn't choose this theme intentionally on this chapter with Gilderoy Lockhart. Right. Like it was really recommended to us by someone at this moment. But it's uncanny how much that myth falls on Gilderoy Lockhart. Yeah, it just happened to be at the top of the list. And so we picked it. But you're right. I mean, there is something about Lockhart is so self-obsessed. He just can't see what's going on with Harry. He can't see what's going on with other people. And in the same way that Narcissus could not bear to see Echo when Echo came and as a distinct person rather than just a projection of his own voice and concern, or could not see that he was looking into a pool of water rather than another person. Okay, Matt, it's your turn to go first in the 30-second recap. Are you willing? Uh, yeah, I'm willing, yes. Great, that's all I need. On your mark, get set, go. So Harry goes down to breakfast, and Hermione's still mad, and then a howler comes, and it's uh, and it's very loud, and it, it burns up. Uh, and then they go to herbology, and there are mandrakes, like little baby plants, and they have to cover their ears because it's very dangerous. And uh, and then they go to lunch, and at lunch, things don't get better, and Colin Creevy's there. Oh, and also uh, Lockhart's a jerk, and then they go to Defense Against the Dark Arts, and he's a bigger jerk. And uh, and uh, the pixies are a real hassle, and the, the three have to clean it up. You did great. I, did I? I... I always feel like I'm doing good and then look at the clock and I'm at 22 seconds and realize I have to do two thirds of the chapter in the final seven seconds. And then I always go one second over. So at least at least I'm consistent. Here we go, Vanessa. Ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. So um, a howler comes and Hermione is like, now that you've been yelled at, I'm not mad at you anymore. And she is reading Lockhart's book and she's very excited to go to class. And we meet Justin Finch Fletchley in herbology and Professor Sprout is awesome and is like, I'll wear the pink fluffy head head muffs thing, earmuffs. And then they go to Lockhart's class and Lockhart has a quiz all about him, which seems ineffective as a teaching method. And then he lets all of the pixies out of the cage. That's a hot take, Vanessa. It might be ineffective as a teaching method to give a quiz about yourself on the first day. I came Hmm. out hard in a bold take. Yeah. Vanessa, I have this theory about the howlers. Ooh. The howlers are obviously good for a laugh. They're funny, right? I mean, I think as readers, I can see as a reader why this is here. But we've been talking so far in reflecting upon your story and upon this theme of narcissism, how narcissism is a form of selfishness, right? It's a manifestation of selfishness, a particular manifestation of selfishness. And the purpose of the howler, it seems to me, is to embarrass and make ashamed a child, right? Like the howlers arrive at breakfast in front of everybody. Everybody kind of laughs. You hear Molly's voice ringing through the whole dining hall. When Ron gets this howler, you can tell like he is mortified that he has to go through this on the second day of school or whatever with all his classmates. And it just makes me think that like, you know, shame-based forms of punishment do not make us less selfish. They don't make us more inclined to think about the needs of others. I mean, everything that Molly is saying, and we love Molly, right? And you can understand her temper here, which is making her react the way she is. But everything she says in her holler is like, you were not thinking about others. You are not thinking about me. You are not thinking about Harry. You're not thinking about your father. You are not thinking about others. But then 
embarrassing him in front of all his classmates is only going to make him think about himself. It's only going to direct his emotion inward towards things like shame or embarrassment and that kind of thing. So, I mean, as a parent, this passage really makes me think that, I mean, you're just sending the wrong message. You're not saying think of others. You're forcing someone to become more preoccupied with themselves, right? Is that right? Is this a fair reading? Yeah, I mean, I think that she's doing many things here, including like venting her rage and yeah. going on the record publicly that she didn't raise her son like this. And I mean, I'm curious if that means that guilt is more effective than shame, like walking a child through like, who did you hurt by doing this and making yeah. them feel really guilty is more effective than shame because guilt allows them to look outwards <laughs> rather than inwards. I guess I never really saw the distinction between guilt and shame until this moment. But Jewish mothers have been on to this for a long time. Well, I think there is potentially a distinction, right? I mean, I think, or maybe instead of guilt, if it's guilt is too close to shame, we might talk about like accountability or something, right? Like mm -hmm. any of us can choose which words are most useful for us. But, you know, actually one of my students in class this week, we were talking about shame and he observed really, I think, wisely that like most of our emotions direct us towards action, right? Like if you feel warmth or happiness towards something, you're drawn to it. If you feel like fear or anger at something, you're drawn away from it. But like shame just kind of like turns us inward and paralyzes us. But guilt, I think, when delivered without shame can help make us accountable, make us think, oh, I have to rectify this. I have to do something about this. I need to fix this. It can move us away from the kind of narcissism that gets us in trouble, right? Like where narcissism causes us to do things wrong or to, to not pay attention to others or even to harm others, delivering guilt in a way that invites us into accountability might help us overcome that and do the things that would help us relate to others better. I mean, this clarifies the conversation that we were having last week. To me, we were talking about the difference of someone being angry or disappointed in us. And I think that you're right that if... Molly had sent a whisperer and had just been like, Ron, I wish you had thought of your father. Yep. I wish you had thought of me. How much more effective that would have been, which speaks to why disappointment is emotionally harder to deal with than anger, yeah. because it forces you to look, look inward in order to look out and be like, oh, my God, I hurt other people. Yeah. But the howler does do one effective thing, which is it gets Hermione less mad at the boys. Right. And I think what Hermione is doing is not narcissistic either i think that she's frustrated that the boys took this huge risk and is like you did not learn a lesson this was so dumb what you did and you're just gonna do it again yeah. and now that molly has yelled at them she's like okay maybe they won't do it again now yeah. maybe they've been held accountable enough that they are going to be out of this so i can move on yep so I do think that the Howler was effective in ways other than making Ron just think about himself. I think that's true, right? I mean, it's not an either or. Yeah. I don't think there's a big danger of Ron stealing the Ford and and driving to Hogwarts ever again, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. the celebration of the Gryffindor common room last night notwithstanding, I think that the message has been communicated clearly. But as you say, I think that all Molly would have had to have said was, think about your father. Like, think about what this might mean for our family. The narrative takes the perspective of Harry as in this chapter, as it does most of the time. And you can just see, like, Harry kind of crumpling emotionally inside when he's like, oh my gosh, what did we do to Mr. Weasley? 
right? Like we were not thinking about him and he is now in trouble and all the good things that they have done for me. And I just did this to him. Right. I mean, talk about narcissism like that because in that moment when they're driving to school, they were not paying any attention to anybody else. They were just paying attention to themselves. And that really, really has endangered Ron's family and their their livelihood and their reputation. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, we meet one of my favorite characters in this chapter, who is Colin Creevy. Ugh, what a delightful young man. Colin is a first-year student who is muggle-born and is super excited about everything Hogwarts. And it sounds like he is a very supportive dad who wants to know everything about Hogwarts and is very excited that there's a wizard in the family. And Colin is in awe of Harry. He has heard all of these myths around Harry, and he's like, oh, my God, Harry Potter sounds so cool. So he introduces himself to Harry, and he has a camera and is like, can I take a picture of you? Can I actually take a picture with you? I heard that if I develop it in a certain potion, it can be, you know, in motion. And that would be so fun to show my dad. Is So everything that he's saying so far is like very much about celebrating Harry and wanting to please his dad. But then he says, so I can prove I met you, which is right. Like just this like name droppy social climber move, right? This, so I can prove I met you. And I, part of me is like, is he doing this so that his father can be so proud that Colin met Harry? Or is this just about like puffing up and trying to show his dad how important he is? And like, does that distinction matter? I, well, I'm, I'm interested what your answer to your own question is, because I didn't read this as narcissistic at all. I think there's a possibility. Because Colin is muggle-born and he's a first year, this is all new. And it's all new and just the particular nature of boarding schools and, and Hogwarts, he doesn't get to share this with the people he can talk to it about. He doesn't have new friends at, at Hogwarts, or he only has new friends at Hogwarts. He hasn't, like, made these relationships. He's not going to send this photo to his best friend from grade school because that person's going to be like, who the heck is Harry Potter? And you're not a wizard. Wizards don't exist, right? The only person he can share all this new stuff is with his family. So I was reading it more like, I mean, maybe actually the opposite of narcissism. Like he's actually like, he wants to share all this stuff with the people he cares about most. And like his preoccupation with Harry is about not making it just about him. Like his his folks are still muggles back home, but he wants this to be their world too. And so he's like, hey, I met him dad or whatever. I don't know, that's my reading, but maybe I'm too generous with Colin just because I'm, I feel bad for what happens to him later. <laughs> I mean, I love Colin, so I am also predisposed to not think ill of him. And I do think m much of what he's up to here is trying to bring his family along for the ride, right? And trying to show, like, it's not scary here. Everything is good and joyful here. The so I can prove I met you thing, it might not be narcissistic. What it is is objectifying Harry, right? Yeah. It's not that he likes yeah. Harry as an individual. It's saying, like, you are something that my parents know. You are a touchstone that I can send a picture of yeah. and that will take care of my parents in a certain way. And so I, while I agree with you that his motivations are not narcissistic, I can imagine Harry experiencing it is, like, very selfish yeah. and is dehumanizing. This is really useful and really helpful, Vanessa, because I think you're right. I've, he's not considering Harry's needs in this moment, which means in this narcissistic, he can't see Harry. He's seeing, in this case, he's seeing like his own needs, even though these his own needs are also warm and 
uh, thinking about others, about his dad or his mom or whatever, like he isn't seeing Harry. And I think that's really helpful because we want to be clear in this podcast or on this episode that narcissistic personality disorder is a diagnosable condition, right? But the kind of selfishness that narcissism itself indicates is just something all of us experience at different moments in our life. Just like, you know, we talked about anxiety last episode, and there are diagnosable anxiety disorders as well, even though each of us feels anxiety at different moments, right? And so it's easy with Lockhart. Lockhart is obviously narcissistic in many moments, but it's helpful for us to point to a character we really love, like Colin Creevey, who even in a moment when he's doing something for someone else, has this kind of like narcissistic lining to his cloud of compassion because he can't see Harry in this moment. So I am going to give you another hot take about narcissism, which this is going to be controversial. I think it's going to be controversial. We love Hermione. Go we for love it. Hermione. We 100% yeah, love Hermione. But. but in this chapter, we're told that she almost punches Harry in the face trying to get her hand up in Herbology to answer a question. My question for you as another Hermione stan, is this a moment like all of us have of sort of academic narcissism from Hermione? <sighs> Such a great question. I'm trying to think <laughs> about whether or not wanting your teachers to like you is narcissistic, right? Wanting it's your wanting teachers to like to... you so much, you don't, you cannot see your friend's face as it as your hand <laughs> glances off his glasses. So, as a clumsy person, I just want to say <laughs> that it is not always narcissism that gets me to like accidentally kick people or bump into them. It is just like. Okay. I don't know. It's something else. I'd like to think it's something else. Maybe all clumsiness is, is narcissism and like refusing to see outside of my own body. But like that is not my experience of it at, at all. <laughs> but is the desire to be seen the same as narcissism? Like that, the desire to be seen is like a, a soul's yearning. It's like actually very vulnerable yeah. feeling. And so I don't want to say that like, any desire to be seen and acknowledged for your skills and talents is an act of narcissism. She's hoping for a moment of connection with Lockhart. Yes, it, she is like not caring about Harry's personal safety, but I don't want to call this narcissism. I think that there is something not attractive about so desperately wanting your teacher to like you. But I also don't think it's narcissistic to want that. I think that it's yearning yeah, well, this is interesting, right? Because it's not it's not with Lockhart that she does this. With Lockhart, she actually gets all the questions right on the quiz. And then, like, when he's like, oh, oh who is Hermione? And she, like, tremblingly oh, raises her true. hand. She's very, like, this is like shy, right? In herbology with Professor Sprout. And I feel like, again, I'm, I love Hermione. And I'm just trying to kind of play devil's advocate and push no, this question. No, she's right? not perfect. I know she's not, right? I, I think that. Like, Professor Sprout already knows that Hermione is the best student in the class. Everybody else in the class already knows Hermione is the best student in, in the class, right? And so is this, a, is this an urge to be seen or is it an urge to be the one with the correct answer again? I mean, I think it's a blurry line, right? I mean, it's not one or the other, really, right? But especially as this book progresses and we hear more about the distinction between muggle-born and quote-unquote pure-blood wizards or whatever, like... She there's a way in which she's never fully seen because of her parentage. Right. And so your your point absolutely stands. I'm just, you know, I just want to press it. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it, but I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way, and now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. So, Vanessa, I feel like we're avoiding the narcissistic elephant in the room. So let's keep doing that. What did you think about Justin Finch Fletchley? Like the first words out of his mouth were, I was down at Eaton. Those aren't literally the first words. Oh, my name was but down at Justin, Eaton. <laughs> Justin is a Hufflepuff who, which already speaks volumes about his good character, who is um, in Herbology with Ron, Hermione, and Harry. And love that Justin is reaching out across houses. He's like, I'm going to work with Gryffindors, not just with Hufflepuffs. And is trying to get to know the people around him by sharing a little bit about himself. And now you're going to say that he is a show off and narcissistic. I don't know why you lead with, why do you lead with, I was supposed to go to the most elite school, but instead I came here which is also the most elite wizarding school. I mean, it just seems like, why do you need to start with? I So here's why I disagree with you, Matt. Okay. Because it's not the first thing he says. He says, I know who you are, of course. You're Harry Potter and you're Hermione Granger, always topping everything. And Ron Weasley, wasn't that your flying car? He doesn't even say to Ron, like, aren't you the sidekick to Harry, right? Like, I, I feel like he celebrates everybody. And then says, that Lockhart something, have you read his books? And then he says, my name is down to Eaton. So I feel like he's doing some like smarmy networking, maybe, but it's like effective. And he is acknowledging the accomplishments of everyone before he shows off. Does that help at all? That's fair. 
and he's talking to three arguably of the best known students in his year. And so he is trying to make himself equal with them. It's pretentious and it is classist. But like, I I just think he's I think that there is a 13 year old kid. There's this blurry boundary between between narcissism and the kinds of pretension and classism that we're discussing. Right. And and actually, like the the stakes of this are going to get higher because we're going to learn as chapters progress in this book that these issues of class and so forth are supremacized around wizarding ability. Right. And so we can see how even things that are relatively innocent in this instance, at least in the instance of this comment, like can bear out as like really ugly stuff uh, later on. Okay. Should we talk about the elephant in the room? Yeah. Okay. I mean, what the, is that? I think it's because the, there's not much to the say. The narcissist he's, in the room. Yeah. I think it's not much it could, because he's so obviously self-obsessed. I don't know if Gilderoy Lockhart actually conveys to us anything interesting about narcissism as a, as a traitor habit that all of us kind of have in our lives and, and learn ha- ways to, to manage because his example is so extreme, right? Absolutely. Like so much so that I'm like, is anyone this narcissistic truly? And then I remembered a couple of people and I was like, well, okay, maybe. <laughs> but there are a couple of moments that I do think Lockhart is interesting in his narcissism. One is his quote unquote helping sprout Right. Like that is a form Mm. of narcissism that I think is right, like a white savior complex Mm. or mansplaining. Right. Like this guy coming in and being like, let me help you. And I like either makes it worse or certainly doesn't help. Right. Like she's beat up by the whomping willow. And I can totally imagine that that is because Lockhart gets in the way. So that was like one moment that was interesting to me about his narcissism, this like savior complex. Another is that. I do think at one point he uses his narcissism to sort of take care of Harry, right? Draco is teasing Harry because Colin Creevy wants to take a picture of Harry. And Gilderoy Lockhart steps in and is like, oh, you want a picture of the three of us? And then takes too much credit and like says to Harry, look, I saved you a little bit. But he does. Isn't that a moment of self-awareness? No. No, that's a really good question. I mean, I think I I think you're right. I think that. I was wrong. Gilderoy is actually more interesting around this question than I thought, because I think in and it points back to why narcissism is a unique form of selfishness. I think in both those instances, in both those instances, Gilderoy does actually think he's helping somebody. Right. He actually thinks he's helping Professor Sprout. He thinks he's helping Harry. In each case, he's hurting so it's not the kind of selfishness where, oh, I could help you, but I choose not to because that is not something I choose to do for you, right? It's actually like, oh, you need help. Of course I'll help you. Why don't I help you with my brilliant smile or my wonderful advice or or, or my expert knowledge of Wampy Willows, right? It's, it's, a, it's a failure to recognize the actual need of the other because all you can actually recognize is, you know, what you see about yourself or what you think is great about yourself or, or whatever, right? So this is really helpful to think about Lockhart, because his form of selfishness is not one which just disdains the needs of other people. He actually knows other people have needs. He just cannot recognize what those actual needs are because he's too self-obsessed. Yeah, which is like a really helpful clarification for me as someone who is actively trying to become like anti-racist and anti-supremacist in my own whiteness and my own life. Right. And thinking about like moments in which I I believe that like I am the gift, right? Like you're welcome. I'm here. 
And I think that that is something that white people are often at risk of. And I think that Lockhart is a wonderful metaphor for that of like, Sprout, don't even worry about this thing that you have years of expertise in. I am now here rather than saying, oh, there are moments where my body is actually helpful. Right. When I see a police officer engaging with a person of color, it might actually be helpful that I am white and I am there. But of course, in other moments, there is nothing intrinsic about me that means that a situation is going to be better simply because I am there. Vanessa, I have this question about about Lockhart, because to me, he is so transparently a dweeb like he is. He could not be more obviously self-obsessed and shallow. And I find him very easy to like. Be suspicious of, be skeptical of and kind of to dislike. Right. I mean, I feel like I can have compassion for him while also just not trusting him at all and also just thinking he's harmful in yeah, those he's cases. Gross. Yeah, he's kind of gross, right? And I, I just wonder about, you know, the fact that Hermione and Molly, two of the characters I respect most in these series of novels, for their wisdom, for their groundedness, like that they would be so taken with him. On, on the one hand, it just doesn't read as believable to me. And I wonder if this is a question of just sort of the genre question we keep coming back to, right? Like, are these realist novels as moments they are? Are they more surrealist novels at moments they are? And I feel like this is one of those moments, it seems to me, where it's kind of moving back and forth between those two realms where, for humor's sake, Rowling wants to have Gilderoy be sort of over the top. And also for humor's sake, she kind of wants to poke fun in a kind of gendered way at at the crushes that Hermione and Molly have. And I, I don't know if it quite holds for me. So Did you have a similar feeling? What did you think about Molly and Hermione's reactions to Lockhart in particular? So I think two things. One, I absolutely think that there's like an anti-feminist thing happening here of like, look at Hermione being girly and silly and not understanding that this guy is a total fraud. And I, I think that the book genuinely judges her for that. And yet I think an underlying truth is revealed, which is that people who are narcissistic can be very charming and otherwise brilliant people can fall for people who are narcissistic and are willing to scam you, especially in small doses, right? Which Hermione and Molly both encounter him in curated small doses and Hermione more and more is going to see what a fraud he is and and will come around on that. But I, you know, I think that one of the things that the book, in my impression, unintentionally is doing is showing that even the smartest, brightest people can absolutely be taken in by someone else's narcissism, especially because they're not going to assume that he's narcissistic, right? They are going to assume good intentions and assume that they are speaking the truth. And we all know people who have been charmed by, by not great humans yeah actually that's that's super clarifying and and really rings true in my own life i mean i think the the most narcissistic person i've ever met a person who actually ended up causing me and my family a fair amount of um sadness and harm was a person who in small doses as you said like at first i thought was great and was really pleased yeah. as a part of our lives and uh I, so you're right I, I think those who have narcissistic tendencies maybe like we can also find them really charming and so I think I so I think you're right. And we find them charming. So I think you're right, Vanessa. That's a really important and helpful clarification. Molly and Hermione, as much as I love them, right, are are just humans like the rest of us.
So Vanessa, our spiritual practice for this week is Lectio Divina. So would you please choose a sentence for us to practice upon? Yes. This is the sentence that I have selected. As our mandrakes are only seedlings, their cries won't kill yet, she said calmly, as though she'd just done nothing more exciting than water a begonia. Great sentence. The mandrakes horrify me. This is, it's a horror novel for one chapter here. For like three pages (laughs) of one novel. Yeah. So, right. So, so step one, what's literally happening, right, is that this is when we're getting introduced to the mandrakes. We're in Greenhouse 3, and Professor Sprout is having the students repot these, like, babies, these humanoid babies. And it is risky to the students, and Professor Sprout is like, I do this all the time. It's no big deal. And, yeah, we'll just chop them up later because they're really helpful for potions. Yeah. You you look horrified. it's, It's horrifying. I mean, I'm a person that eats meat. And so I recognize that it's often in our in our world that we consume other things and kill other things for the sake, right? But the idea that these are like these are so humanoid that these are like little babies that will eventually be sliced up uh, and put into potions it, that's that's unsettling. Agreed. And I think another thing that's going on in this sentence is that even something like raising mandrakes for the slaughter eventually becomes like so rote to you. That you can do it calmly as if you're doing nothing more exciting than watering a begonia, right? That this has just become old hat to our dear Professor Sprout. Correct. So step two is allegory. What other stories does this remind us of? The Mandrakes remind me of another Greek myth we've talked about, Narcissus and Echo. But it reminds me of the, the epic, the Odyssey and the story of Odysseus and his desire to hear the, the voice of the sirens, which is usually fatal. How about you, Vanessa? What what does this remind you of? The only thing it's reminding me is a line of Kabbalah, which is that God counts the tears of women. And of course, the idea is that women cry more and therefore you have a better indication of the sense of the world's despair if you count the tears of women. And the mandrakes crying, like that word cry made me think of that. But I like... I don't know. I wish God counted the tears of everyone and everything, including the cries of the mandrake. So, yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Great. That's great. So step three, Vanessa, is what this line reminds us of in our own life. What do you have? It reminds me of a joke in our house, which is that Amy, the nine-year-old, we joke that an Amy at rest likes to stay at rest and an Amy in motion <laughs> likes to stay in motion. Like if you're like, hey, do you want to go on a hike? And she's on the couch. She's like, absolutely not. I've never wanted to go on a hike in my life. Why would you think I wanted to go on a hike? And once you're on the hike, we're like, okay, it's time to go home. And she's like, why would we go home? I want to hike forever. And the mandrakes do that, right? Like they don't want to be pulled out of their pots and then they don't want to be put back into their pots. And I think that that is like a human feeling. <laughs> so I, which only speaks to me of the fact that these mandrakes are human. <sighs> it's very stressful. Yeah. What about you, Matt? What does it remind you of in your own life? So, you know, Vanessa, what I'm thinking about is that recently Cammie, my daughter, has been uh, asking for a phone. She's 11. And at first we were just like, no, you're not getting a phone. You're not old enough for a phone. You don't need a phone. There's no reason for you to have a phone, right? And I think that maybe we just weren't really listening to her or we were not 
we, our ears were muffled in the sense that all we could hear was sort of the acquisitive part of this question. What we couldn't hear in the question was, I just moved away from a bunch of friends and I want to be able to keep in touch with them. And I have new friends who all have phones and I want to be able to keep in touch with them. And maybe in, you know, in the spirit of our, of our topic today, maybe in a narcissistic way, we were just thinking about the expense or the inconvenience or the extra parenting that was going to require to monitor the phone. But a deeper listening would have recognized that, that there are other things going on. And the, the mandrakes cries, which are muffled here, just reminds me of that. So step four, Vanessa, is what does this line make us feel called to? Just as an extension of the answer I just gave, I mean, it calls me to, to try to listen better with my kids, not put like the, the habitual earmuffs of sort of, no, you can't have this. No, you're not old enough. No, this is not for you. Even if all those answers are true, like to try to listen a bit deeper and pay attention to what else is being asked, what else is motivating my kids' wants and desires so I can do a better job of just caring for them and loving them and giving them what they need. What does it call you toward in your life, Vanessa? I mean, like the only seedlings is, I think, the most troubling part of this sentence. I know there are more troubling things about the mandrakes in general, but yeah, it calls me to really try to not be dismissive. I, I am often dismissive of like, oh, it was only this kind of disappointment. It's not a big deal of other people's feelings. I'm, I take my own disappointments very, very seriously. But I'm trying to cut a lot of words out of my vocabulary that I think, you know, some for good writing, like Hmm. I use the word just too much. And so I'm trying to cut that out of my writing. I wonder if the word only is something that I want to give a lot more thought to, at least when it's used in this dismissive way. Hmm. Well, Matt, thank you so much for that beautiful Lectio Divina. Well, thank you for that sentence. It was a great one. You're welcome. Our voicemail this week is from Maggie. Hi, Vanessa and Matt and the whole team. My name is actually Maggie Smith. It recently occurred to me to wonder where the heck were Harry's grandparents in all of this. And I looked it up and it turns out that they conveniently predeceased both Lily and James. And this brought me back to one of my favorite fan theories from way back in the day, which is that Harry is distantly related to the Weasleys. Ron mentions in the second book that they have a distant cousin who is a squib. And Lily Evans is another character with bright red hair. And the thinking went that she was related to or descended from this Squib Weasley. And this would mean that Harry could go and live with the Weasleys instead of the Dursleys and still be protected from Voldemort through Lily's love. Of course, this didn't bear out in the books. Um, And so I want to give a blessing to Molly and Arthur Weasley. They are a couple with limited resources and many children, and yet they open up their hearts and home to Harry, despite having no relationship or responsibility to him other than the fact that he is a friend of their kid. They are drawn to him not because he is famous, but because he is a child in need. And in so doing, really represent, I think, some of what is the best about humanity and honestly, the best in these books. So that's my blessing for today. Thank you so much for the podcast and all that you do. Take care. Maggie, thank you so much for this voicemail. It just reminds me of something that was reported on NPR this morning, which is that COVID deaths have left hundreds of thousands of children missing a parent or grandparent who used to take care of them. So thank you for your beautiful blessing. And I would like to offer one for 
all the amazing caretakers out there who are taking care of these grieving children. Yeah, thank you, Maggie, for for your voicemail and for calling our thoughts, not just to the graciousness and the goodness of the Weasleys, but also to the graciousness and goodness needed to care for folks in our own world. It's now time for us to remember the friends and family that have been lost to our community in recent weeks. Helen Qualwasser, 81, a grandma, community builder, and badass. Joshua David Ellers-Lee, 26, who inspired many to fight for justice. Daniel Bruce, 58, a loving father, grandfather, and brother. Mark Bruce, 62, a beloved uncle, father, and grandfather. Gretchen Ober, 41, a selfless friend, devoted daughter, who is passionate about horses. And Ernie Zirkel, 85, a doctor of veterinary medicine, community servant, farmer, grandfather, and agricultural hero. Let light perpetual shine upon them. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? I would like to bless Hermione and Molly. We we talked about this a little bit in the episode, but they both have crushes on this bad man. And I've had I've had crushes on bad men. And so I want to say I feel for them. And I hate when Ron makes fun of Hermione for having drawn hearts on her schedule. Let's not mock each other's crushes. We can't help who we crush on. Crushing is very vulnerable. Anyway, I'd like to bless all of the people out there who have crushed on people who do not deserve their adoration. What about you, Matt? I would like to bless Professor Sprout this week just because she she gives care to the Whomping Willow, even though it's dangerous. I know Lockhart probably makes it more dangerous, but it's always dangerous. We know it's dangerous. And just the idea that she doesn't believe that the Whomping Willow needs to be anything other than it is in order for her to want it to be healthy and to flourish and that she's willing to risk herself and, and risk her, her own uh, safety to tend to the Whomping Willow and and care for it. I, I think she deserves a blessing and I'm happy to give her one. Well, Matt, next week we are reading chapter seven, Mudbloods and Murmurs. And you just turned in a book on the theme of forgiveness, which happens to be one of the themes that a listener, Erica, recommended. I think multiple listeners. And so I would like for you to tell a story on the theme of forgiveness and teach us all a little bit about forgiveness. When your book comes out in a year, we'll have you talk about forgiveness more. But let everyone hear from one of the world's leading experts on this theme. Sounds great, Vanessa. I can't wait to discuss forgiveness some more. Everyone, just a few reminders before we give our thanks. 
We are wrapping up our series of classes where we are treating Harry Potter as sacred on Zoom. You can join us by going to notsorryworks.com and clicking on online classes. We are doing book seven on Tuesday nights with me. Come join us. It's so fun and it's such a wonderful community. And even if you haven't done it before, you can jump in now. We are a Not Sorry Production, a feminist production company. Our executive producers, Ariana Nettleman. We are edited, produced, and tolerated by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. And we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week go to Maggie, who sent us a lovely voicemail, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their lost loved ones this week. We should start doing etymology right, corner but, in like Macho Man Randy, Randy Savage voices. Yeah, the exactly. word of Except, oh, narcissism comes from. Sorry. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.